Y'all are doing good out there. Anybody doing bad, we'll pray for you. <laughs> I, I don't. Okay, I'm going to try to get my act together here. Let's turn to uh, Mark 5. <clears throat> We're going to do that song again at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark 5. I want to... Something, the Lord's been speaking to me about three women in the Bible. Two of them in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Okay? And I think those women represent the church on some level, and I think they represent us on, on individually on some level. And... Uh, I tried to come up with a me- to develop a message where I could talk about all three at one time, but I just couldn't do it. Just wasn't, didn't, it just didn't work. I could do two of them and then leave one of them separate. So I want to talk to you about this one. And this is a, a scripture that everybody and his brothers probably preached on. And most people who preach this scripture focus on the faith part. It's about the woman with the issue of blood. Okay? Most of you know that, familiar with that. But I don't want to, tra- this is not no traditional thing. This is something. God really spoke to me about it, so I want to read it to you. First of all, this story uh, said Matthew, no, Mark chapter five, beginning at verse twenty-five. It says, "Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had, and was no better, better, but rather grew worse." When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you. And you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing that what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and touched and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Amen. That's good, isn't it? Well, I want to talk to you about this. Uh, Twelve years, this woman was stuck in a cycle. Um, actually, this cycle should have lasted a week in her life, like one week a month. It was a natural cycle, a, a natural cycle ordained by God for a woman, for her body to prepare itself uh, for pregnancy. That's what that cycle was all about. But somehow, she got stuck in this cycle and couldn't get out of it. So a cycle that should have lasted one week lasted 12 years of her life. And suddenly, you know, you can imagine for 12 years of being stuck in this cycle, she was, she was about gone. And I think what happens to a lot of us is God ordains things for us to go through. Okay? We, but we get stuck in them somehow. They're things that God meant for. God designed us to go through. But we, somehow we get stuck in them and we can't get out of them. Are you with me? And that's really what I want to talk about. I feel like God was really speaking to me about how to get... And I think this is not the answer because I realize we don't have the answer, Lord. We don't have the answer, but there's keys in this thing about when a person gets stuck in something that was meant and that was ordained by the Lord, but they got stuck in it and they can't get out of it. They can't, 
and, and God has a way. He wants to get us out of things. Anybody in this room need to get out of something that you're stuck in in your life and something keeps reoccurring, you come back to the same point over and over in your life and it frustrates you? You know, does anybody have that kind of experience? I have those experiences. Well, that's sort of what I want to talk about. Amen? Are y'all with me? Help me. Okay, verse 26. I, you know, it says, She had suffered many things from many physicians. She had suffered many things from many physicians. Number one point. I'm just giving you one, two, three, four, five just to help me be organized. So number one, she was going to the wrong doctor. If you had a chronic stomach ache, would you go to an ear doctor? Would you? No, you wouldn't go to an ear doctor. You'd go to a stomach doctor. If you had a stomach every day of your life, you would not go to an ear doctor to get it fixed. So that's the first key I believe that God was speaking to me, is you've got to go and find the right physician to help you, to fix you in your mess, to get you out of your mess. A lot of people are trying the wrong position. You got the wrong position. Point number two, what kind of physicians are we? What kind of physicians are we? Okay. Are we? There's a book in the Bible called the book of Job. Everybody know about the book of Job? The book of Job is about a man who woke up one day, very wealthy, very prosperous, very blessed man, and through certain situations, certain circumstances, he lost everything he had except for his life and his wife. And his wife told him this when he was covered with boils from head to toe, why don't you just curse God and die? He'd lost all his wealth, lost all his livestock, lost his kids, lost everything. That's what his wife was saying to him. So basically he lost his wife. So there he was in a mess with boils all over his body, and three of his best friends heard about his state and went to him. And basically there's 40 chapters of discourse between Job and his friends listening in on their conversation, on their counsel. And you know what God said? At the end, about his friends, this is in Job, don't turn there, it's in Job 42, verse 7. He says, my, he's speaking to one of Job's friends. My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. You have not spoken of me what is right. Now, I just want to ask us a question. I want to ask you as a Christian, I want to ask me as a pastor, I want you to ask you as a minister of the gospel, what kind of answers are we giving? What kind of answers are we giving people? By, by our words, by our prayers, by our actions, what are the answers that we're giving people who need answers? Ask yourself that question. Are we going to stand before God one day and He's going to say to us, I'm not really happy with the answers you gave, like He did Job's friend. In fact, He had to get Job to pray for those guys. He, you know, because they had done Job in, basically, so to speak. And God had, you better pray for him, Job, because I'm mad at him. And turn my wrath off of him. And I just wonder, what kind of physicians have we become? What kind of prescriptions are we giving people in life? Again, our words, our actions, our lifestyles. Are you with me? Really need to be convicted. That was point number two. Now, I want to do want to say this, in all fairness, okay? Sometimes we give the right answers. 
Sometimes we really do give the right answers. The problem is with the patients. They don't like our medicine, okay, and they refuse our medicine. And, you know, you can't, you can't force the patient to take the medicine. So sometimes, I'm not saying we're always wrong and we, all, we don't have the right answers. I think many of us do have the right answers. Many of us do have the right medication. It's just our patients don't want to take it. And if you're a patient today and needing help, God may have that spoon right in front of your face, but you're refusing to take the spoon. You're refusing to swallow it. You hear me? Number three. It says in, in verse 26. Are you all with me? That ain't what it says in verse 26. <laughs> you know, we need to relax out there. It says that she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had spent all that she had. Point number three, she ran out of options. She ran out of options. How many people do you know, how many people do I know that are not getting better? Some of them are getting worse. We know people like that. Do we know people in the church like that? Do we know people out there in the world like that? They're not getting any better. They're getting worse. Well, that's what this, this woman had found her saying. In other words, she had spent everything. She had come to the end. And so here's one of our problems, I think. One of the things that really bother, mess us up is this, is we have lots of options. That's why some people don't want to take the medicine. It's because they have options. They have other things that they can do but not take. Well, I don't have to do that. I can try this. I can try that. You see, this woman had run out of those options. She didn't have any options left. A lot of people want miracles in their life, but they don't realize if you start studying the Bible and find out the people in the Bible who got miracles, there were people who had nothing. They didn't have any answers. Their answers were exhausted. They were like her. If God didn't do something in her life, she was dead. She was going to bleed to death. The Egyptians were bearing down on Israel. They were standing there looking at the Red Sea, which was big, that they couldn't get across. They couldn't even swim across it. And the other side was the most powerful army in the world bearing down on them. They didn't have an option. Either God delivered them or they were dead. But see, we're not like that. And that's why I believe one of the reasons we don't walk in more miracles than we need to be walking in is because we have lots of options to play. Lots of options. There's a story in the Bible, I think it's in Matthew 19. And this is a story about the rich, young ruler. And those three words are real important. Number one, he was rich. Number two, he was young. And number three, he was a person who had a lot of authority and power. And he came to Jesus one day and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, made some comments to him. And basically said, you've got to obey the commandments. And he said, which one? And Jesus listed the commandments to him. And he says this. This is another telling thing about this rich, young ruler. He said, I've been doing that all my life. And not only was he rich, not only was he young, not only was he ruler, he was a very devout, disciplined person. He had it together. And Jesus said to him, but you lack one thing. You lack one thing. You take everything you've got and you sell it and give it to the poor and come and take up your cross and follow me. It says, the Bible says he went away sad. And this is the thing. It's full people, people with a lot of options, don't sense their real need. You see, we're deceived this morning. Whether you, 
I believe everybody in this room, we're deceived to some level. We don't really see our real need. And as long as you're not aware of your real need in your life and how desperate you really are, you don't need Jesus. You don't need Jesus. I've said this before. If you got $50,000 sitting in the bank, who needs Jesus? you got $50,000. Now, nobody would consciously say that, but that is really what we're talking about. As long as we have these options, it makes us real hard to come into what God has for us. It makes it real hard for God to work in the miraculous. And it's really obvious in this nation, that's the state we've come to. And we've got to run out of our options. That doesn't mean we have to become, take a vow of poverty and all that, but we've got to realize those things are really not the answers. Those things are keeping us from getting miracles in our life. Are, are you with me? I mean, this is really important. I feel like I really believe this is the Lord trying to speak to us. I was uh, trying to help somebody, and I know I'm going to emphasize the word try, because this guy was going through what I call the big one. Anybody in here been through the big one? I'm talking about when God really burns your hide up and destroys you, crashes you, brings you down to nothing. If you're ever going to be used by God, I'm hate to, I hate to give you a sad story. You're going to go through the big one. Well, this guy, I don't know what his problem was, but he was in this big one for two couple years almost, it seemed. And he tried everything he knew to try to get out of it. And I told him everything I knew to tell him how to get out of it, but I just couldn't get him out of it. And I was starting to get a little bit nervous about it, you know, because I was thinking, Lord, you, you know, you're going to have to do something on this one here because this has gotten way out of control, Way out of control. Either, yeah, somebody I know, I believe the devil's gotten involved in this deal here, and no longer are, are you. And finally he came over to my house and wanted to talk to me. I thought, oh, I don't want to talk to this guy. I don't, I've been told him everything I knew three or four times. And I've told him in different words, and none of it's worked for him. The only thing I knew that I told him was when he first got into it, I said, you're losing everything. <laughs> that happened in his life. He lost everything. That was the only truthful thing I think I ever told him. So he comes over, and this is what he said. This is profound what he said. He said, I want to throw in the towel, but I just don't know how. You know what throwing in the towel is? It's giving up and surrendering. He said, I just don't know how. And I was thinking, if you knew how, you would have done it the day you got into the mess. <laughs> you wouldn't have had to go through this. And I think sometimes our know-how limits us with God. As long as we know how to do something. We could take a mess like this. This is how you do this. We develop a formula on this stuff. We get this know-how. But it doesn't work with God. Our know-how just doesn't work. God wants to bring everybody to a place where your know-how doesn't work. He wants to bring you to a place where you can honestly, and I mean truthfully say this from the bottom of your heart, is the more I get closer to you, Lord, the less I know. Now, when you hear a person says that and they're really truthful about it, you know you're that person, God's doing something in their life. Because I guarantee you, the further we go with God, the bigger He gets, the less we get. And having all the answers is not a good thing. In fact, I have this dread on me when somebody wants me to help them. It's like, I don't want, I don't want to have the answers. I really don't, Lord. Don't give me any answers. I mean, I just don't, you know, my experience, I just don't. Just put something, the moment they come in the door, I can say what you said at that moment, and that's it. And if I don't know, I want to be truthful enough to say, I don't know. I just don't know. I just don't want to be a bad physician. I want to see people's life changed. And if I don't have the answer for them, I want to say, well, don't talk to me. Go talk to Donna Carr. She has the answer. 
And that's the way we all need to become. We're going to have to run out of options. Y'all with me? You happy? You know what happened? Who drank my water last week? Sitting on the chair. Anybody drank my water sitting on my chair right there? I'm asking a question for a reason. I had a bottle of water. It wasn't this one. It was another one. Donna brought it to me to give to Pastor Sam when he was preaching. And there was never a good chance for him to do it. So I set the water down in my chair. Full bottle of water. At the end of the meeting, I picked up the water. There was that much water in that bottle. And I was sitting there looking at it thinking, what happened to the water? And I started looking on the floor, feeling a chair for a wet spot. And there was no wet spot. You know what I'm talking about? There was an angel that sat there, because that's what he was talking about, and drank that water. I didn't see that angel pick that bottle, but all I know is that bottle of water was full. There was not a wet spot in the chair on the floor anywhere around where it was sitting, and there was that much water in that bottle. I asked a couple people who sat around, did you drink my water? No, I didn't drink it. I wouldn't do that. Why do you think I drank your water? <laughs> so Pastor Sam was talking about last week angels. Well, there was an angel in this room sitting in that chair drinking the water. I'm serious. Number four, verse 27, when she heard about Jesus. Jesus is usually the last but only true hope when she heard about Jesus. Not, well, you know, I heard that church had good music. Well, you know, I heard that church had good preaching. Well, you know, I heard that person had a good counseling ministry. Well, you know, I heard about that conference that they had miracles happening there. You know, you know, I heard about this. You know, I heard about that. You know, you see, those are options. Those are things that God's going to bring it into. He is going to bring it into. Well, you know, I heard. You know, I heard that church was a good church. It doesn't matter. That ain't what she heard that day. She heard about Jesus. And you see, this is the answer that really needs to happen about churches. This is what really needs to happen about churches. I heard Jesus was in that church. Doesn't care about who cares about the music. I mean, honestly, who really cares? You could have the best music in the world. You can, who cares about the preaching? You could have the best preaching in the world. But if Jesus is not there, what good is it? Now, I'm being real serious. And I, now, I know music and preaching and all those things are good things. But if Jesus is really not there, it's a waste. What good are we going to do? What answers do we really have without Jesus? And see, I think we've gotten on to some of those kinds of things and put too much emphasis on them and put too much focus on them when we need to be hearing about Jesus. The best comment that was, has been ever paid to this church, bar none, okay, was by somebody who didn't even come to this church but told their neighbor about it. And the neighbor came to the church and he said, well, my neighbor across the street who doesn't go to this church, which he, he said, which is confusing to me, but she told me this, God's just there. That's what he said. That's what my neighbor, I think, well, why didn't you know if God? If I heard God was somebody, somewhere, I would go. Now, that's the kind of church we want. Is we want a church where God is, where Jesus is at. Turn over, hold your place there, and turn over to 1 Corinthians 2. And I want to read verse 1 and 2. Um, and these are just verses that everybody in this room probably knows and heard about. Yeah, 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 that's right. We know that's the truth. We could quote them when you get there. But this is what Paul said. 
This is a good old verse for people like me, and we can really use this one. Verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. It said, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech. I told you we could use that one. <laughs> or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. That's Paul saying that. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that really needs to be our message is Jesus. However it comes out. Whatever is said. Because that's what people need to hear about. They need to, people at work need to say, there's something different about you. What is it? And you can say, it's Jesus. That's what's different about me. Jesus. That's what I got to give you. I got to give you Jesus. One of the most initial things, well, really the, the first thing that God really spoke to me when I was supposed to come pastor this church after I agreed to do it is this was really the Lord too because it wasn't something I thought up. Somebody asked me a question. It's what you're going to do to be able to help the church there. Ooh, what am I going to do, Lord? <laughs> I already agreed to do this. I don't know how to help them. But I opened my mouth up and the Lord gave me the answer. I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the people there close to God and God will help them. You hear what I'm saying to you? Get people close to God and God can help them. That's really it. Because you see what will happen to you. And, and I, I think, Lord, I don't know. Sometimes I've, I've gotten out of that. And I've gotten myself into a situation where I feel like I've got to help them. Well, I've got to do it. And I realize when I look down at myself, I don't have what it takes to do it. But you do. And why do I think that I've got to do it when I really can't do it? I'm trying to carry a burden and I'm yoked to something that's really not you, Lord. Only you can help people. Man can't help people. Jesus is the answer. And we've got to get people to Him. Not who we are, not what we think, not our style, not any of that stuff. And that's really what Paul was saying. He was saying, I'm going to help you people because I am going to declare to you Him. I'm not going to declare to you guys me. I'm not going to declare to you guys how great a ministry, how much anointing I have, and how God's used me and all the things that God has done in my life. That's not what I'm declaring to you. I'm declaring to you Him, Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. And that's our message. That is the only message that's going to really change people's lives. All other messages fall way short. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because when she heard about Jesus, when she heard about... She didn't say, well, I heard about Peter. I heard about Matthew. I heard about Mark. I've heard about, you know... Joe Blow, no, I heard when she heard about Jesus. And that's really what, what we need to do, is we need to get in the mode where people hear about Jesus. Jesus is in that church. Jesus is in that church. If people find out Jesus is in this church, we will have to put a gate out front and give out tickets because the world will tear the doors down getting to it. Because the world needs Jesus. And if the world finds out Jesus is somewhere, I mean really somewhere, I mean really somewhere. The world beat its path down to your door. They will, beat their, they will tear your house down and get into your living room if they believe Jesus is in your living room. And that's really what God wants for us. Point number five, let's read verse 30. Hold your finger there in 1 Corinthians and go back 
Let me read verse uh, 30. This is after she touched him. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power, everybody say power. Power, power had gone out of him. Well, I want to tell you this story. I may have told you one time before. The first time I read, heard that verse was when I was probably nine or ten years old in Sunday school class. It's one of the few things I remember from Sunday school class that was spiritual. I remember lots of other unspiritual things that I was doing. I was in trouble in Sunday school most of the time. I was always getting sent out. And, but I read that verse. I, this, is the, the, this is the first time I ever considered the power of God in my life. Now, I believed in God and believed that Jesus was the Savior and all that stuff, but it was more of a mental thing. Just, yeah, that's what's in the Bible. I guess the Bible's true. I'll believe that. But when I began to think about it, and I thought, oh, poor Jesus. Poor Jesus. That's, this is what I was thinking. He has a limited amount of power, and this woman snuck up behind him and stole some of his power. <laughs> so his power went down a little bit. His power tank. <laughs> and I felt sorry for Jesus at that moment. I really felt sorry for him because he lost some of his power. You know, he didn't get to decide to who's going to get it. But we know that's not true, don't we? We know he's unlimited in power. Faith only in the power of God. Um, I want you to look at that verse, verse uh, 4 in 1 Corinthians 2. I hope you held your place there. This is what Paul said there. It says, My speech and my preaching not, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of what? Power. That your faith, this is, where, this is just where it really gets interesting, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in what? The power of God. That your faith would be in the power of God. Everybody say the power of God. See, I think we've exchanged uh, the power of God for human wisdom in the church. We've exchanged it. We've exchanged it. There was a guy that was telling me he was doing these tent meetings. And he, this guy, uh, I, he, he wasn't really into being a preacher himself. This is revival. This is for uh, salvation, totally. Just bring the loss to this tent. We're going to preach the gospel. He said he heard all kinds of preachers preach the gospel. They invited every style you could think of. I mean, said some of it was detestable to them. Because some of them would turn their sound system wide open and they would open their mouth and it would feel like it would blow you out to the back of the tent. It was so loud. And your ears would hurt and just throb because they were, and they were emotional and they would spit and they would slobber and just go wild. And then he said he was convinced that some of those guys that were preaching were not even saved. That's what he was saying. But he said, you know what? It really didn't matter because there was inherent power in that message they were preaching. Inherent power. People were getting saved from preachers slobbering all over them. People were getting saved from people saying stuff that they didn't even believe what they were saying themselves. It was because of the power of the gospel. That the gospel was so true and inherent in the gospel is power. You see, we've exchanged a power message for a wisdom message. But the problem is it's not the wisdom of God that's being preached. It's the wisdom of man. And the wisdom of man doesn't work. We've got to get back to the power of God. Are you with me? And we've really got to go for God's power. Now, I'm going to, God's power offends a lot of people. And, it, you know, and that's the devil. I'm going to tell you this morning, that's the devil. If you're offended by God's power, you, you're, it's because you're being influenced by the devil. Uh, turn over to Acts 1-8, and this is where we're going to end at. Because I want to just, and everybody knows this. This verse, this stuff is just as bad as like the ABCs of Christianity. Okay, but we're not living the ABCs of Christianity. That's the problem. 
Are y'all with me? Let me just read this old wore out famous verse and go ahead and just make some people mad this morning. Okay? And I'm not making you mad on purpose, but I really want to tell you the truth. Because you may be mad today, but when you get to heaven, God's going to say, remember that day? You was wrong and he was right. That's what he's going to say to you. (laughs) And you know why he's going to say that? It ain't my opinion. It's the Bible. That's why he's going to say it. Because my opinion really doesn't really matter. But God's word matters. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive what? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Everybody say, come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. Witness, and see, that's the stated purpose for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is that we would be witnesses to Jesus. And then he goes on and tells where all you're going to be witnesses. You're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem. That's sort of like at home. And in all of Judea, that might be downtown. Samaria, that might be down in the, out in the country in Iredell County. And to the ends of the earth, that may be in Africa. But let me just say this again. Power means dominus. It means inherent strength or ability to perform effectively. Okay? Inherent strength or ability to perform effectively. All right. The power to be His witness is both miraculous. It's both miraculous and moral. You got that? It's it's both miraculous and moral. Miraculous is God has given the church authority to cast out demons. You got a demon this morning? Well... Somebody will cast it out for you. <laughs> you know? And people have demons. They have demonic stuff. He's given the church a power and authority to heal sicknesses. Okay? Those are things that God's given. That's, that's the power. That's the miraculous in it. And, you know, and just many other things that God's given them. One of them, let me, you know, one of the, there's like three or four signs in the book of Acts of people being the Holy Spirit coming on. One of them speaking in tongues. Anybody offended by tongues this morning? Don't be offended by tongues. Tongues are in the Bible. Paul said, I wish everybody spoke in tongues. You need to be speaking in tongues. Don't give me that, well, I'll speak in tongues because God's will. That's really not scriptural. You need to speak in tongues because the Bible says it bells you up and edifies your spirit. Just like plugging a battery and needs charging. When you speak in tongues, it charges your spirit. It gives you power. We need that. We need that. But that's not the only. There's, the, there's prophecy. Okay, that's a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit, is being able to prophesy. And then there's another one. It's called being able to be bold in front of people who are resistive of the gospel. To be able to be bold for the gospel. Be able to stand for the Lord out there at work when everybody else is drinking and carrying on. You're going to be bold because you're filled with the Holy Ghost. 